traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hello. Politics, not all fun and games. It's really not. Uh, Joe Biden damaged national security on live television yesterday. I mean, really, really bad. Um, This is no joke. It never has been a joke. I try to, uh, you know, sometimes I don't want to keep I don't want to get too serious. But man, wow. Hey, come right on in, Russia. He invited Russia to invade Ukraine. I mean, I'm no secretary of state. Uh, I've never been praised for my diplomatic skills. I'm watching that in my my little tiny office in Midtown Manhattan. Um, never worked uh, for the Foreign Service. Uh, I, I, I don't speak any foreign languages. Uh, I've never been to Ukraine. I I hear Joe Biden, and I'm like, the hair starts standing up on the back of my head. He shouldn't be saying this right now. I know it. The man on the street knows it. The man on the street knows more about national security in the world than Joe Biden. He's not smart enough to be president. He's not smart enough to be president. You know, when you get to the point you got like 50 million people could do a better job at that press conference than Joe Biden. It's time for a change. How about that? (sighs) Really like doing that soft talk. I noticed something. I'm still trying to put it together, but um, well, he only whispers on certain occasions. I'm going to hold that for later. All right. uh, Look, it was a disaster. We told uh, our allies we're not going to be there for you because you're not really our allies. Come right on in, Russia. Really weird stuff. Really, really bad. But I'm going to put that aside for a moment because with all of the all of the fun we've had, I'm picking on Joe Biden, and sometimes you got to make it fun because otherwise you'd be crying all the time. Um, but even those who like Joe Biden, who think all of this stuff is great, the whole damn country, the whole damn culture has missed. We had anti-Semitic terrorism in Texas just the other day. You know, I thought the guy was a lunatic, whatever. Now I'm finding out he got here two weeks ago. He crept into the country as our national security apparatus and Justice Department talks about neo-Nazis and white supremacy all the time. A guy, an Islamic radical terrorist, got into the country who hates Jews and wants to kill Jews and recruited all of his friends from around the world to come to the United States and raise hell because of what happened in Afghanistan and what's happening in Afghanistan. Just good old-fashioned crazy Islamic extremism, a terror attack, a plot that was executed, took over a damn synagogue, held Jews hostage. Why? Because they're Jews. And the FBI said, there's no terrorism here. We don't see any religious motivation here. Are you serious? you got to tune into my Newsmax show tonight. I have uncovered audio of the terrorist inside that synagogue on the phone with his friend in London, England, telling him about exactly what he was doing 
exactly why he was doing it. What was he doing? Taking over a synagogue. Why was he doing it? Because of hatred of Jews and hatred of the United States of America and to punish us for our foreign policy. All these things. It's why they hit us on 9-11. All the same crap. And the FBI comes out and says, this is not terrorism. This is Benghazi. This is a domestic Benghazi situation. This is, you know, you could do that whole fallback. This is either incompetence or it's a cover-up. Either way. No, I'm not going to just say it's either or. It is, it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. And anybody who would engage in such a cover-up is incompetent, but... I'm not, I don't like that cliche. It's either incompetence or a cover-up. Well, how could they do that? How could they do that? Why did these guys become FBI agents? I saw that guy stand out there and say, this is not terrorism. Why would they do that? Because the, the Biden administration didn't want them saying anything about it. Shh. A guy got into the country two weeks ago, and we didn't stop it. Shh. There were... Warnings and alerts and flags about this guy all over the world, and we didn't notice. Shh, 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 shh. Don't say it out loud. Just let that crazy Newsmax guy talk about it. Yeah, then we can just say that crazy Newsmax guy. Just that crazy Newsmax guy. You can't believe it. It's coming from that crazy Newsmax guy. I'm afraid I'm all you got. <laughs> I just, I can't believe it. It's, and it's dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. Uh, do you want to go through the press conference? I mean, look, it was sad. It was dangerous. The guy doesn't seem to realize how bad he is. You know, you surround yourself. Uh, you know, like Elvis Presley in the, in, the, in the final days, he was surrounded by sycophants and people who loved him. And like it, he's developed a little sweet cocoon. He doesn't even know what Let's Go Brandon means. He doesn't know what Let's Go Brandon means. How are we going to know? He's going to know the ins and outs of Ukraine. You know, I was thinking about Vladimir Putin when he was watching all this stuff. Can Joe Biden outwit or outtalk Vladimir Putin? I don't think so. I know not, actually. Uh, Let's see here. Cut one. Let's see. There's a lot of talk about disappointments and things we haven't gotten done. We're going to get a lot of them done, I might add. Good luck with that. Uh, are these all really short? It sounds like they're pretty short. Uh, where are the ones from my show that I played last night? Do me a favor. Yeah, hit me with that. People heard the speech that you gave on voting rights in Georgia recently, in which you described those who are opposed to you to George Wallace and Jefferson Davis, and some people took exception to that. What do you say to those who were offended by your speech, and is this country more unified than it was when you first took office? Number one. Anybody who listened to the speech, I did not say that they were going to be a George Wallace or a Bull Connor. I said we're going to have a decision in history that is going to be marked just like it was then. You either <laughs> voted on the side, not did make you George Wallace or didn't make you Bull Connor. But if you did not vote for the Voting Rights Act back then, what? you were voting with those who agreed with Connor, those who agreed with He's lying and, and so, in real time. And I, I think Mitch did a real good job of making it sound like I was attacking them. <laughs> you did a real good job of attacking them. That's uh, that's Joe. 
Maya Angelou, uh, when somebody tells you who they are the first time, believe them. First time I learned about Joe Biden was 1987. 1987, I was a high school senior. What the hell was I doing? Not really on the edge of my seat about the Democrat primary that was going on, but even I, in my little 12th grade world, found out that Joe Biden lied his ass off about college. I remember this very well because in 12th grade, guess what? I was thinking a lot about college, where I was going to go, what was going to happen next, academics, grades. That was on my mind. And to see that guy shoot his mouth off in 1987 about how he had three degrees, was in the top third of his class, uh, had won the international moot court competition. Uh, when none of that stuff was true, he graduated at the bottom of his class in law school, had only one undergraduate degree, not three. All this stuff was found out. But he pompously smiled. I think the guy might be psychotic. And unfortunately, I mean really tragically, for him and for us, but mostly for him. Actually, he has no soul. He either sold it or it was destroyed somehow, but he doesn't seem to have a soul. Now, what do I mean? Why, how can I say that? Well, he made a sacred promise one year ago today. My whole soul is in this, to unify our country. Get that from me, will you? My whole soul is in this, to unify our land. If he put his whole soul into it, and look at where we are. Uh, ergo, he has no soul. I'm sorry, I don't think he does. Something very, very broken about him. Now, who did he blame it on? He blamed it on Republicans? Mr. President, you weren't able to unify the country. As a matter of fact, do we have that? I think we have that. Let's go. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this. Bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. Um, that was one year ago today. His whole soul. Now he goes around blasting Republicans, calling everybody who disagrees with them George Wallace. Give me another one from last night. A block. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine. If you read between the actually, you don't even have to read between the lines. Minor incursion. Minor incursion. He uh, he's giving them a cut 22. Try that one. But I'm not so sure he has is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. Why would he say that out loud? That's the part where I almost fell out of my chair. Why? why you're saying. He has to do something. He might as well invade. This is crazy stuff. This is incompetence. This is borderline evil. And for two hours, he's out there making a fool out of himself, embarrassing all of us. And they have the audacity to go on TV today to call this a success. Uh, They're cleaning up his mess, by the way. But interestingly, they don't really seem that chastened by it. Um, 
January 20th. A little bit in a few moments, I want to tell you, though, about the significance of this. It's Inauguration Day, okay? But beyond that, how it applies to you and me. I made a big pivot in my life, uh, as you know about, but there's something else going on here. People overestimate what they can accomplish in one year. And it's January. You know what I mean about the resolutions. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And by February, everything's going to be great. Maybe spring at the latest. And it often doesn't work out that way. We overestimate what we can do in a year, and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. It's amazing. You play the long game. There ain't nothing you can't do. More on that when we come back. Greg Kelly, the latest breaking news and opinions, entertaining and informative. Anyway, I've always been obsessed with this. Uh, yeah, pretty much since I was in sixth grade, sitting there in, uh, where was I? Stewart School in the assembly room on Stewart Avenue in Garden City on January 20th, 1981. And I really appreciate this to this day about what the school did. They had us all go into the assembly room, you know, the auditorium, to watch the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. And I just felt very privileged to be watching it. I really did. I knew I was watching history. And um, those moments I remember. I remember, I don't remember anything about New Year's Day or whatever. These days I pretty much go to sleep at 1030. I don't care. I'm going to party like a lunatic because the calendar is changing. No. That's an amateur move, everybody. Uh, but I do remember where I was on Inauguration Day, all right? Sixth grade. Then uh, eight years later, I was in a library up at Manhattan College uh, watching the inauguration of George H.W. Bush. And then four years after that, I was on uh, the floor of uh, my girlfriend's apartment in Pensacola, Florida, watching Clinton become president. And then eight years after that, in 2001, I was in a hotel room in Miami watching... Uh, George W. Bush become president. And then eight years after that, uh, oh, I was in Washington, D.C. Actually, with my I saw with my own eyes Obama get inaugurated. And then four, I can go on like this. Five years ago today, I was watching George, uh, Donald Trump get inaugurated in an office at Fox 5. Who is the next president? How and when will that happen? Where will you be? Where will I be? Now, I hope it's Donald Trump in exactly three years, and I think it will be. But I love this kind of mental game. I play it myself, and I've uh, actually written about it. It's in the Daily News. And should I read you the whole piece that I wrote? That's kind of tedious, listening to some guy. All right, do me a favor. I'm going to find that piece. In the meantime, Rich in Brooklyn is on the phone. Rich, how are you? How you, how you doing, Greg? Just wondering um, if you happen to see uh, Jen Psaki, one with Perino and Bill Hemmer. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I did, as a matter of fact. Why do you ask? I did see that interview. Tell me what well, you're thinking. You know, the outcry is uh, they're, they're trying to clean up the uh, damage. I, I truly believe that she was looking to transition over. I think she finally realized how bad this guy is. And you, you, you have a great memory of him. I remember him at the Clarence Thomas hearings, hanging on to Teddy Kennedy. He's a chameleon. He, he, he really. But today, last night, I actually felt sorry for the guy. He, he's in desperate, desperate shape. I did not feel sorry for him because he, uh, he, he was so arrogant. 
he was so arrogant about it. I did not feel sorry for him. I, I, I know. I, yeah, but uh, Greg, I, I don't. I don't think he. I don't think he's aware. Hey, can I go back I to your first point? I think you totally sure. nailed it. You totally nailed it. Jen Psaki wants to be a Fox News employee. This is a sinking ship. She's not going to be. Uh, I think she already announced a couple of months ago she's only going to do this for maybe a year or so. So she's going to be out of there pretty soon. She yeah, was it, very it was chummy. One eighty with her. The she, arrogance was gone from her. And she was very yeah, chummy with those guys. The they, she was very chummy with them. Remember, and they were yeah, pretty chummy yeah. with her too. Yes. Now yeah, I happen yeah. to like Dana Perino a lot, and I like Bill Hemmer a lot. But uh, you know they they could have there was a lot to clobber her with and they didn't that was interesting. But you know what, Greg? What? I, I think it was so obvious to everybody that they didn't want to pile on her. But I really believe she's looking to get off the ship. Hey, now. since when, when? Since when were they so nice to anybody related to the Trump? You know, did CNN go easy on Sean Spicer or anybody like that? No, 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 no. no. But, I think you know what we're, you nailed it. Hey, Rich, Rich, here's the deal. You told me something I didn't know. Jen Psaki will be working at Fox News by the end of this year. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Good call, all Rich. Right. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, right. All right. What's our time? How much? Oh, good. I found this piece. All right. Are you ready for this? Five years ago today, actually, it was published, and uh, I'm very proud of it. It was in the Daily News, and it was right next to the op-ed, uh, right next to the editorial, and there was my name in print. Anyway, it goes like this. Donald Trump's rise to the presidency shows we're capable of more than we think by Greg Kelly. Special to the Daily News, January 20th, 2017, published at 5 a.m. Who's the next president? Could be anyone. Two wild things will happen at noon on Friday. One is obvious and historic. Donald Trump becomes president. You're playing the music already. I can't finish my beautiful essay. And All right, we'll do that. I'm telling you, I think this is designed, by the way, to help. Well, first, I wanted to help myself, and I think it can actually help you. So I'll be right back with this, and uh, let's see what the hell else is going on. Hey, they didn't ask about that, anything about crime. They didn't ask anything about the border, anything about terrorism. The media are a total disgrace. Be right back. This is The Greg Kelly Show. Man, they really can't change the subject quickly enough. Okay, they're straightening out the whole nonsense he said about uh, Ukraine. But why would he say it in the first place? He is not smart enough. He is not with it enough, even in his prime. Donald Trump pointed that out out during the campaign. Even when Joe was in his prime, he was dumb. He's dumb. And now he's way past his prime. He is. I mean, he's, uh, what is he, 80? 79. 79. There's, hey, look. Donald Trump is like, what, three years, four years younger than he is? No big deal. Trump's going to live to be 100. All right. It, it, it hits at different ages. I know a lot of you don't like Michael Bloomberg anymore. You know what? I thought he was great as mayor. I didn't like some of the stuff he said since. He never should have run for president. He never should have apologized for stop and frisk. But he did some great things as mayor, like appoint Ray Kelly police commissioner and keep him there for 12 years. Uh, and also, I tell you this, Mike Bloomberg, my God, he could debate, run circles around Joe Biden, although he didn't, did he? <laughs> he got he got flabbergasted by, uh, overwhelmed by Liz Warren. Anyway, he's with it mentally, unlike Joe. So um, I want you to think about this. January 20th, what does it mean to you and me? All right, Inauguration Day. Uh, so I wrote this little thing for the Daily News a while back, and uh, 
kind of goes like this. George W. Bush started his journey to become the next president of the United States on January 20th of 1993 when Bill Clinton was sworn in. Bush was at the inauguration. His father was leaving the presidency after one term. George W. Bush had proximity to power, but very little of it for himself. He was 46 years old. He had a wobbly career in the oil business behind him and one losing congressional race. That day, he was the part owner of the fourth-place Texas Rangers baseball team and still almost two years away from winning his first political office, a race that his mother thought he shouldn't enter because he couldn't win. Obama became president when he was 47, one of the youngest ever. Yet his career seemed stalled on January 20th, 2001, the day Bush became the president. You see, the moment George W. Bush became president, Obama was the next president of the United States. Bush is the 43rd. Obama's the 44th. Now, I know that would not be determined, but it was true. Nobody knew it but God, I guess, right? On that day, when George W. Bush became president, Obama was just a state senator. Months earlier, he had lost a congressional race and was so broke he couldn't rent a car with his American Express card. At the Democratic National Convention in Los Angeles, he was denied credentials to access the convention floor. He was allowed, in his words, to only roam the halls. He wasn't important enough for anything more. As Bush and Obama went from marginal players to the ultimate success in eight years, Trump's ascendancy, or at least serious speculation about his presidential prospects, started decades ago, before he was even old enough to be president. Trump was 34 years old in 1981 when celebrity journalist Rona Barrett quizzed him about presidential ambition in a nationally televised profile. In the serious exchange, a pensive Trump weighs his electability, concerned his ideas are good for the country, but tough to sell politically. Throughout the 80s, America's top interviewers like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King put the don't you want to be president question to the Donald. Murmurs of a draft Trump campaign in New Hampshire were reported by Time magazine 30 years ago. For all those who said a President Trump is unthinkable, people have actually been thinking about it for a very long time. Still, eight years ago today, and that would be 13 years ago today because this is five years old, Trump was hardly a contender. In the opening sequence of the first season of The Apprentice, he admits that he had been mired in serious trouble financially in the 1990s. The perennial presidential talk still surfaced, but generated more by Trump himself than anyone else. Where were you eight years ago today when Obama became president or in 2001 when George W. Bush raised his right hand? I've always found it easier to track these occasions than New Year's, which all seem similar to me, featuring that same big, dumb ball drop. Inaugurations are more significant than a new calendar, and often the change in our own lives as we look four years or eight years back has been dramatic. Tony Robbins, the life coach, says this, Most people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. As many of us lose the urgency behind New Year's resolutions, maybe we can take encouragement from Inauguration Day, regardless of whether our candidate won in November. Bush, Obama, Trump, they have virtually nothing in common except each skirted personal ruin and achieved the highest honor our nation can bestow.
If they can do that, perhaps you and I are a lot more capable than we've grown accustomed to thinking. Does that make sense? I hope so. I hope so. I just feel that is, when I look back year to year, not much happens. Ten years ago, I was a totally different person. Totally. We expect too much from a year, but anything can happen. Hey, by the way, one other thing. W and Obama. These guys really did come out of nowhere to become president. And it was very unique. Traditionally, for most of the 20th century to be the president of the United States, you had to have been a very important person for a very long time. Okay? People forget. But uh, Ronald Reagan ran for president three times. The third time he was successful. He had been household name famous for at least 20 years. Uh, It didn't happen overnight for him. Of course, um, well, Jimmy Carter was different. That was definitely an exception in the 20th century. He kind of came out of nowhere. One-term governor of Georgia. Gee whiz, what the hell? Gerald Ford had been around forever. Richard Nixon, of course, had been ultra-famous for decades. Same goes for uh, Lyndon Johnson and JFK, actually, in his own way, was a very traditional. Yeah, we talk about his youth, but he got to Congress in his uh, 20s and, you know, had two terms in the House, two terms in the Senate. He was a war hero. He was from a famous family, and he wrote a very uh, well-received book. Uh, Pardon me. Let's see. What else? One other. Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Everybody knew who Eisenhower was for 20 years before he became president. Well, 10, 15. So um, Trump is the kind of guy, now it wasn't in politics, but he was a man of influence, fame, and prestige for almost 40 years before he became president. And that is, uh, that's very traditional in some respects. Hey, you got that question where the guy asked him, uh, Joe, how does it feel to be a nut? It was much more elegantly expressed, but uh, this is James Rosen, my Newsmax colleague, asking what the whole damn country is wondering. And he did it beautifully. Go ahead. Thank you very much for this honor. James Rosen with Newsmax. I'd like to, um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. A poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found 49% of registered voters disagreeing with the statement, Joe Biden is mentally fit. Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, so the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. And that's it. We know you have no idea. That's the problem. Now, they attacked Rosen. Oh, my God. How could he do that? How could he? What a horrible, crazy question. Are you kidding? It was thoughtful, polite, well-researched. It was topical. And it's on the mind of everybody. Every time you talk about Joe, everybody can see it. It shows you how divorced these people are from reality, that they would be horrified by the question, that they would never think to ask that question themselves. All the questions were ultra inside, just one or two exceptions. Ducey was very good, as he always is. Rosen, uh, but the rest, uh, not so much. Just tiptoeing around, even when he made colossal gaffes about Ukraine. 
Everybody just stuck to the script. Oh, I, I, I'm supposed to ask him about Build Back Better. I'm gonna just nobody, nobody put it away. Nobody went for it. Ooh, I'm looking at a beautiful commercial for the Breakers Resort. By the way, this is not a commercial for. I've actually been to the Breakers. It is a beautiful place. It is absolutely beautiful. It's in Palm Beach, Florida. Now the Boca Raton Resort, uh, on the other hand, is uh, not as nice. I don't really care much about the weather, though, and I care less about – I'm sorry. I love – Mike Woods is the greatest guy in the world, but what's going on with the weather, doing the weather on the TV? I got my phone for that. Mike Woods is a great lifestyle correspondent as well. He's a great athlete. You know who I'm talking about. All right, real quick, Lou in Queens. Yes, sir. Hey, Greg, this is the first time I've gotten to speak to you, and I'm honored to do so. Fire away. Uh, I'd like to – I'd like to talk to you about the Ukraine. I want to bring up a little history lesson, the last oh Cold War confrontation. No, it won't be long. You remember that in 1979, the Russians deployed the SS-20, which was a nuclear-armed missile, intermediate range to threaten Western Europe. And for years, nobody did anything, including Carter. Reagan got elected in 83. He deployed the Pershing missile to say, if you want to do it, we'll do it. Guess what? Five years later, the Russians got down to the table and eliminated both missiles. So why I'm bringing this up is it's time that we arm the Ukraine with missiles that can take down their their planes and their jets and, and not fool around. If, if Russia doesn't want weapons on its border, you know what? Get rid of the troops on its border, and we'll get rid of the weapons in Ukraine. All right, a couple of differences, well, we, though. A couple of differences. As you know, uh, Western Europe at the time, they were members of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was a real thing, right. a real military alliance. We had real obligations. Ukraine is not a member. Uh, Donald Trump, as you know, sent lethal weapons, the Javelin missile, anti-tank missile. Would Trump do more than that? I don't know. I don't think so. What the hell do I know? I really don't know what the solution is. All I do know is this, Lou. Uh, Biden should not have said what he said yesterday. I knew it right away. I really did. Yeah. It was a clear. Uh, thank you, Lou, very much. Stay in touch. Uh, yeah, that was a bad, bad, bad thing to do. Uh, all right. What's the deal? All right. Uh, who wants to talk about? Do- uh, gosh, no. Tom, what's on your mind? Hey, Greg, become a big fan of your show, show. but uh, I just wanted to talk about uh, the press conference and um, and whatever, you know, right, right-wing re- uh, reporters were able to ask questions. They were not, except for Rose, and his, his question was pretty direct, but Ducey's question was so open-ended, he could have simply just said, you're asking the American public to get back. Tom, Tom, I, I think, have, Tom, uh, what, Tom, what, Tom, what, Tom, 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 Tom. But, Tom, you know, it's easy for you to say. I thought he was actually very good, Ducey. Why are, is it, sometimes you ask a general question. What, like, a general question. You think, you know, oh, I'm verbally going to box them in like that. All they, can, all they have to say is, I don't want to say, I don't want to, I'm not going there. A skilled, well, Joe is not that skilled. But you think you can build this incredible box and you can escape. I thought Ducey was fine. He's, and it's a general question. What give, why are you taking this country so far to the left? I thought that was great. I thought that was great because uh, he was elected as a centrist. He was elected as, well, elected. I put that in quotes. So anyway, thanks, Tom. I disagree uh, respectfully, of course. One more. Lou in Long Island. Yes, sir. 
Thanks for taking my call. Listen, Greg. Yeah. I I uh, have to tell you that I feel that uh, I watched uh, the uh, uh, Saki this morning with uh, Hammer and uh, Dana. Yeah. They're all part of the same fraternity, Greg. There are only a few journalists or opinion guys that I can actually trust to tell the truth who would go on the air and and press these people. Uh, Dana and Bill let her get away with uh, a spin that, uh, you know, uh, would make you dizzy. It's terrible. Uh, and, and again, they're all part of the same fraternity, uh, like a lot of our politicians. Uh, they're up to no good. I don't feel sorry for Biden, as you said, uh, one of the calls. Uh, he's a demented old man. He was a mean old man, a mean person since the day he got into Congress, uh, into the Senate. He attacks, attacks, attacks. Uh, but now he's just a mean old man. You know, Lou, uh, look, I agree. I agree to a point. And look, you called it out. You're right. There's a fraternity. You know what I mean? And I'm so glad I'm pretty much done with the fraternity. You know, I I, ran, I lived in Washington, D.C. I know how, the, how they, they respect and rely on each other so much. And I am still like, you know, on the fringe of the of the association. And I, a lot of people wouldn't do this, but. I will have to just say I'm sorry, and this is, you know, just so you know where I'm coming from. I agree with you. They were too nice to Jen Psaki. I think they're, they were nice to her because they, they want administration officials to come on their show in the future, you know, a bunch of things. And everybody has a boss, and everybody's under certain constraints. So, uh, and I happen to have met those guys many times, and I like them. I like them a lot, actually, Very particularly Bill and Dave. They're, they're very nice. But everybody has a boss, you know what I mean? I'm just so glad that my boss has given me the free reign and backs me 100%. You know what I mean, Lou? I do, and you're one of the guys that I uh, I trust uh, your opinion, Greg. All right, thanks, uh, thank pal. Thank you. Wow. Uh, yeah, a lot of people saw that interview today. I was I was expecting to see uh, you know, something nuclear, but it wasn't that. All right, is it? Is it? It is. I'll be right back. And we are back. Hello. National Archives sends trove of Trump paper. Oh, gosh. Again, Donald Trump. It's amazing. It's amazing. He's no longer president, but they are going crazy on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. New York Times today. I wake up. I call it up on my phone. The first three stories are about Donald Trump. I'm like, who had that disastrous press conference yesterday? It was Joe Biden, but they can't quit Trump. Uh, I don't... Do I play? Uh, look, I want the guy to come back. They're obsessed with him, but they're obsessed with him in the wrong way. The best thing to do is see what you can learn from him. Hey, why is Eric Adams getting his first paycheck in Bitcoin? And what the hell does that even mean? Adams' first paycheck will be converted into cryptocurrency. What is that and why is that? What does that even mean? Does anybody know? Uh, who cares, really? He's a mediocre man, less than mediocre, doing a horrible job so far. Amateur mistake after amateur mistake. You see the show last night on Newsmax? Kind of an interesting thing going on, don't you think? We hear about white supremacy and the threat from neo-Nazis. That's what the, that's what the attorney general himself tells us all the time is the problem, Right? And Joe Biden himself. 
These are the three priorities right now from our government. Fighting uh, voter fraud, uh, let's see, or or enhancing voter rights. Uh, everybody could vote just fine up until eight seconds ago. Uh, fighting neo-Nazis and uh, white supremacy. Cut 25. The, the attorney general spoke to the people of uh, his department three times in the past year. And these are the themes. These are the marching orders for the U.S. Department of Justice. Cut 25. We know that expanding the ability of all eligible citizens to vote is the central pillar. That means ensuring that all eligible voters can cast a vote, that all lawful votes are counted. In the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocate for the superiority of the white race. And as we prepare to mark a solemn anniversary tomorrow, it is a fitting time to reaffirm that we at the Department of Justice will do everything in our power to defend the American people and American democracy. Um, Those are boogeymen, phony boogeymen. And that's what the Biden administration talks about all the time. White supremacy, uh, phony voter stuff. Meanwhile, a terrorist sneaks into the United States and takes over a synagogue in Texas. It's obviously terrorism, and the FBI denies it. So they can dwell in their fantasy world where there was no choice but to leave Afghanistan the way we did. No choice but to have near-double-digit inflation. No choice, no choice, cut 26. This is simple. Subversion. It's the most dangerous threat to voting in the integrity of free and fair elections in our history. This wasn't a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote. Our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. We can no longer delay or do the bare minimum to address climate change. This is a global existential crisis. And we'll all suffer. We'll all suffer the consequences if we fail. So all that stuff is phony. Uh, doesn't exist. And when you spend all your time talking about it and then thinking about it, because the White House is not is not really running the country. All they did was really, to a large extent, there is some operational stuff, but they're really just talking about things and trying to move the national conversation in one way or another. And they move it and they move it and they move it. And now we are where we are, where everybody's at each other's throats because of issues of race and gender and all this nonsense. We created problems out of nothing, and we have a so-called leader who just talks about this crazy, silly, stupid, non-real boogeymen, boogeymen, boogeymen that don't exist, the boogeymen. So um, you compare that. Now, I know you may not like Donald Trump. There are people out there, oh, I don't like the tweets. I don't like the style. I don't like looking at him. They find him, they just find him offensive. Well, forget about the style for a second. Now, I like the style. I like the tweets. I like all that stuff. 
But I also like the substance. I want you, if you are a Trump detractor, to put all that phony stuff aside. All the, uh, not phony stuff, but the superficial stuff, all right? Put that all aside and think about what matters, okay? What's on the inside here? Which president do you think our founding fathers would approve of? Joe Biden? Joe January 6th Biden? Or Donald Trump? Listen to this. Listen to some of his priorities as president. This is the stuff he talked about. Cut 27. There is a growing humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. Our southern border is a pipeline for vast quantities of illegal drugs. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. We will never make excuses for America's enemies. We will never hesitate in defending American lives. And we will never stop working to defeat radical Islamic terrorism. Never. We will always defend the very first right in the Declaration of Independence, and that is the right to life. We will not allow people of faith to be targeted, bullied, or silenced anymore. And we will never, ever stand for religious discrimination. Never, ever. That's a president. Those are real issues. That's what it's about. Freedom. Life. Liberty. The pursuit of justice. Not phony baloney white supremacy in January 6th, a threat to our... Oh, shut the hell up. I don't even think you guys believe it. But this phony baloney conversation that uh, Democrats and the far left and the media insist on having is having real-world negative effects. Really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. Now, that young girl who was killed in Los Angeles in the furniture store... Brianna Kupfer, 24 years old. This is her father speaking the other day. I think he sums it up very well. Uh, This is Cut 28. What's endemic in our society right now is that everybody seems to be oriented on giving back rights and bestowing favor on people that rob others of their rights. It's true, isn't it? talking all about uh, Rikers Island and their rights and their concerns. I mean, these are criminals. We're celebrating criminals, and we're demonizing law enforcement. And that has an effect. And then the media nonstop um, taking the side of criminals. And by the way, what is up with this Karen crap? White women who dare be assertive, dare stand up for themselves, Dare say, no, you're not going to treat me like that. Well, if you're white, you're a Karen. If you're a person of color, you're, you go, girl. Cut 29. To all you Karens watching at home, please make a list for your white Santa and pray to your white Jesus for a life. Please, because we're out here living our best lives. Fighting on the front lines to preserve democracy, taking up space at the highest levels of government. The Karendemic and everything that's been happening. We highlight Karenicity as a behavioral construct here. 
because Karenism is dangerous. Social media is dubbing them Karens. Now the angry woman is being dubbed a Karen. I'm not allowed to behave in the way that these crazy Karens are behaving. What is being a Karen? You know, weaponizing victimhood. Weaponizing victimhood. Hello, Madam Vice President. That's right up your alley, isn't it? So we're demeaning people who are not of color. And we're saying the whole damn system is rotten. Systemically racist, right? Everything is racist. So why bother following the rules? Because we hear all day long, everywhere from the president on down, in the mainstream media, the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives and Senate, it's all systemic. It's all racism. Cut 30. The battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country. There is systemic racism that must be weeded out. We've got to deal with the with the issues of systemic racism throughout our society. It is systematic or systemic racism through many. All right. And the system is racist. And of course, if the system is racist, what do you think the police are? Cut 31. Need to protect themselves against uh, racist police officers. Modern policing, particularly in the South and, as you said, in certain parts of the Northeast, actually evolved out of the slave patrols. To understand American policing today is really to tell a story. Wow. whole thing is racist, huh? And then, if you use the wrong word, uh uh-oh, you may have used or committed a microaggression. Cut 32. You deal with what we call microaggressions or uh, a thousand cuts of racism every single day. A stereotype threat, microaggressions, all redlining, you know, glass ceilings, all these sort of things that we're dealing with every day. We need to address microaggressions that are placed on black women. We need to address these racial stereotypes. These everyday forms of racism or microaggression, uh, they happen so routinely that they almost seem benign. This is what it is to be black in America, which is a series of microaggressions. There's levels of microaggressions and levels of implicit bias that black people deal with every day. So all those microaggressions they're telling us about, wow, I say hello to somebody. It could be a microaggression. And I think back now to that girl in that store in Los Angeles by herself in the afternoon. Did she commit some microaggression? Did she uh, suddenly come off as a Karen? You know, you're in a store by yourself. Some dope comes in. You think, oh, that must be the owner. Come in with all this kind of rage about the systemic racism you hear about all the time, the systemic uh, racism in the police and all the microaggressions you endure. And then you snap and you take all of these silly, nonsense, phony problems out on one 24-year-old girl. I could easily see that happening. One 24-year-old white girl, by the way. Yes. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, the latest breaking news and opinions. Entertaining and informative. Microaggression. I prefer to be just aggressive. Microaggression. Who's micro? We're America. We don't. We're not microaggressive. We are just aggressive. We got New York too. We got a problem with you. You'll probably figure it out. A microaggression. A microaggression. Can I hear that one more time. The microaggression. I mean, uh, maybe I maybe I should be a bit more upfront 
Cut 32. You deal with what we call microaggressions or uh, a thousand cuts of racism every single day. I don't like racism. Threat, microaggressions, all redlining, you know, glass ceilings, all these sort of things that we're dealing with every day. Glass ceilings. We need to address microaggressions that are placed on black women. We need to address these racial stereotypes. These everyday forms of racism or microaggression, microaggression. Uh, they happen so routinely that they almost seem benign. This is what it is to be black in America. What's that? Which is a series of microaggressions. microaggressions. There's levels of microaggressions and levels of implicit bias that black people deal with every day. Every single day. I'm too wrapped up in my own stuff to notice much of anything else, to be honest. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm sorry. Uh, I think everyone's a little bit too sensitive here. I think this is um, the far left. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I really don't. Microaggressions. Well, you wouldn't have done that. that, I mean, how do you decode that? How do you fix that? Microscopically, I was rude to you. Not many people accuse me of that. They accuse me of rudeness. Sorry. (laughs) But microscopically rude? Um, I don't know. Aren't we? You know, the great thing about America... We've all been too busy to worry about crap like this. You know, Europe, Europe, which is you know basically socialist. I love France, but it's basic. It's socialist. You're going to be taken care of no matter what. You're going to be, everything's kind of fine. No one really expects all that much to you. So you can go to the cafe you can have all these deep thoughts about philosophy. Um, you know, you're too runny, busy running your roofing business, all right, to, to worry about this stuff. And I really would rather be worried about the roofing business than microaggressions. Now, there's nothing micro, though, about this aggression you're about to hear from various people, some white, some black, but they don't seem to like white women at all. And one of them is a white woman named Nicole Wallace, who is a terrible swamp creature. Absolutely the worst. Um, I mean, I'm sure she's nice to her kids and family and all that stuff. But when she gets to work, whether it was in the George W. Bush White House, where she flirts her way up to communications director or flirts her way into a job at The View or flirts her way into a job over there at MSNBC, and then... um, just sits there, fat, smug, and happy, waving her finger at judgment. You're going to hear some pretty vile stuff in a moment. And I'm sorry, but this is a, most, <clears throat> this is a sampling. A lot of it's from MSNBC. Another is from the, this website called The Root, which is totally insane. But a lot of it's just mainstream media crap. Cut 33. This is yes. a typical case of a white woman, white womaning, right? So we see the disrespect, we see the privilege. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. And My advice to white women is, man your own goddamn business. Isn't that nice, huh? Isn't that fun? Wow, yeah, you just shut the hell up and sit down. No. Everybody's a person. Everybody's a human. Everybody's an American. Whatever the hell happened to that? We are losing our country. I'm so sad to say it. We are. Our culture is gone almost. Almost. Still got a lot of fighting chance left. But that half the country could see that disgrace of a press conference yesterday and say, boy, Joe Biden. 
Talk about living in denial. Talk about uh, crazy stuff. Meet me on social media, at Greg Kelly USA. I'll be right back. This is The Greg Kelly Show. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And where was I? Ah, yes, going through. I mean, I am just... The way they demonize white people. Uh, and you got a lot of white people demonizing white people. It is really, really offensive. It's, um, it's racist. It's wrong. Yet, mainstream media, uh, you know, big companies, Comcast, whatever... They are taking this country in such a sick direction. This woke stuff is really, really sick and weird and harmful. And they're using it as a weapon. They really are to silence you, to neutralize you politically. And they think they can win arguments this way. Hey, I saw Cory Booker on the floor of the Senate. He almost started to cry when he said... um, it's harder for black people to vote in America than white people. That's quite a statement. Wow. It's harder for black people to vote in America than white people. Now, I'm doing my own research here. And number one, I'll start with Cory Booker. Let's see. Uh, Cory Booker. Let's see. What's the most? Uh, oh, yes, he's black. That's the, that's the most important thing about Cory Booker. Um. Uh, his political career has been designed around that. All right. He's the black guy who went to Stanford, grew up in the suburbs and then got himself to uh, downtown Newark to, well, for political reasons. OK, that's why he went to live in downtown Newark so he could run for office. And that's what he's done. And when he says something like that, when he says it's harder, twice as hard for black people to vote in America than white people, you know what happens? Most people in the room shut up. Well, he's black. I guess he knows what he's talking about. I'm not, you know, what do I have to say? I'm just a white guy. I'm not going to deal with this. I don't want to be called a name. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm just going to, okay, Corey, thank you, Senator Booker. Whatever you say, write up some radical legislation. We'll fix it. Voting in America is easy. It always has been. Until they rigged it. Until they started screwing around to stop Trump. You don't think that happened? Oh, yeah, it happened all right. Now, I will point out, I do not have the technical skill to prove that. I don't. And those that do, well, there are, some are scared. Some have been bought off by the other side. Some have actually done it on the other side. This is my sense. You saw all those reporters yesterday at the press conference, right? Do you trust them to investigate this? They didn't even ask about crime. They didn't even ask about border security. The one guy who asked Joe Biden about his cognitive abilities, they're trying to cancel him. They won't, by the way. He's a great guy, James Rosen. I know him well. He's on uh, Newsmax now. He's terrific. As a matter of fact, let's hear that question again, if you don't mind. Uh, The cognitive ability question, Joe Biden. You got it? Got it? Good. Press play. Thank you very much for this honor. James Rosen with Newsmax. I'd like, to, um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. A poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found 49% of registered voters disagreeing with the statement, Joe Biden is mentally fit. 
Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, Thank so you. the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. And that's it. He moved on. And everybody dumped all over Rosen for asking it. It was a fabulous, fabulous question. Beautifully expressed. Totally topical. Whole country is talking about it. And has been talking about it. What's wrong with Joe? And then you have the nerve to ask what everybody's thinking, and they freak the hell out. MSNBC did. I mean, they're all, they're all just, oh, it's a disgraceful question. Crazy question. How could he ask it? All right, getting back to, um, ah, yes, the phony conversation about race that we're having in America so we can avoid having a serious, profound, helpful conversation about race. It is twice as hard for black people to vote in America than white people. Uh, What's your evidence? The Brookings Institute came out with this. Okay, that's a far left-wing group. How about this? The government accounting office. Well, that's the swamp for you. I, uh, you know, <laughs> these studies, uh, I voted in New York City. I voted uh, for Curtis. And this is, by the way, where it's supposed to be really hard for black people to vote. It's one of the places they mention. Um, I was in and out in approximately five minutes. Uh, there was no line whatsoever. I voted in the heart of New York City. Stop lying to us. Okay. Stop lying. And Cory Booker thinks he can get away with it, or he's actually convinced himself that this is a real thing. And he uses it as a, as a weapon, as a way to silence the opposition, using his color as, a, as I am a virtuous person. And you can't question, you have nothing to say on this issue because you don't walk in my shoes. That's BS. We're Americans, no matter what your color. Whatever happened to that idea? We are going to lose this country. We are going to lose this country. You think this is suitable content for mainstream primetime television, MSNBC? Joy Reid is the anchor. I look forward to exceeding her in the... Ratings very soon. We got a great trajectory going on over there at Newsmax, but but here she is. Uh, this is about as racist and bigoted as I've ever heard. Cut thirty four. In America, there's a thing about both white vigilantism and white tears, particularly male white tears. Really, white tears in general, because that's what Karens are, right? They care out, and then as soon as they get caught. It's like, Green waterworks. White men can get away with that too. This is uh, this is hateful stuff. It's really hateful stuff, and it's everywhere, and it's tearing this country apart. And I think it might be leading to, or have led to, the slaughter of that poor young girl at that furniture store in Los Angeles. Oh, Reverend Al and his fake news friends. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Reverend Al, I remember when he was an out-and-out racist. He's he's a little smoother around the edges now, but uh, I remember the boycott of the Korean grocery stores in Brooklyn. Do you remember that? I remember the hateful things that 
the hate campaign he waged against Jews, especially Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn, Al Sharpton. And now he sits there, skinny, dumb and happy, used to be fat, dumb and happy. Uh, you, the first voice you hear here is Al Sharpton going on and on and all these people blaming Trump for the spike in anti-Asian hate, which there was one, by the way. There was a spike in attacks on Asian people. But it wasn't coming from Trump supporters. Cut 35. We, we know that uh, racist anti-Asian hashtag spiked after uh, Trump first tweeted the term Chinese virus. It was not helpful that last year you had a former president of the United States use racist phrases like Kung Flu. Particularly the rhetoric we've heard from our former uh, president, specifically blaming and, you know, using Asian people as scapegoats for the spread of the coronavirus. Former President Trump's rhetoric led to a spike in anti-Asian rhetoric. This is directly attributable to the former president's narrative and rhetoric around the COVID uh, pandemic. When Donald Trump started using this uh, China virus uh, terminology, uh, the anti-Asian hate on Twitter went up 900 percent. So there's a big problem with this uh, theory, with this political narrative. It's false. It's wrong. Number one, Donald Trump didn't say anything anti-Asian. Calling it the China virus when it originated in Wuhan is not racist. That's quite frankly what doctors do all the time. The Ebola virus, named for that uh, Ebola river. Lyme disease, named for Lyme, Connecticut, which exists, L-Y-M-E. This is swine flu from the pig. I mean, what? So that's standard. Now, the anti-Asian hate that we saw, and boy, oh boy, I'm sorry, we did see a lot of it. It was a tough, it was tough last year, and it goes on. Who remembers the woman who was walking by that residential building, and a guy just beat the hell out of her for no reason while the doorman just stood there, and the door closed? Remember that? It's on videotape. How about, just about, what, two months ago, a woman in Times Square was punched right in the face, a Filipino woman? She was in a coma and then died? You've seen all those videos from San Francisco, Oakland area. A lot of folks like beating up on elderly Asian men, an 81-year-old man. Two guys pushed him to the ground, kicked him a few times, then took his money. I saw a woman on the Upper West Side, two Asian women, hassled by what we believe is a homeless woman. We saw a guy getting beat up on the train. I mean, wailed upon on the train. Asian kid. It's only seemed to be the only thing he had going against him was that he was Asian. And on and on and on. I showed about 29 of these videos from the very real spike in anti-Asian hate crime last night on my Newsmax show. And then I did something else. I showed pictures of the suspects in all of the cases. Half of them were career criminals. Uh, The other half were lunatics. Just doing a little bit of demographic uh, evaluation and voting patterns. I think none of them were Trump supporters. All of them happened to be people of color, more specifically black. Now, why can't that be part of the conversation? Now, you think this is edgy? You think this is a problem? This is real. If Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can run to Atlanta to respond to a mass shooting involving a white person, 
a white man, opened fire at three massage spas in April of last year. I think he killed nine people, five Asian women and four people who were white, and just branded a a hate crime, an anti-Asian hate crime. When the sheriff was saying, no, this was motivated by some deranged sex addiction. When the FBI said, we do not see this as a racist incident. They said, we don't want to hear it. We have we have a moment to exploit. They ran to Atlanta to further a fake narrative. It was amazing and sad, really sad. There is a, a horrible, dishonest conversation going on about race in this country to avoid having a serious, substantive, possibly helpful one that could save lives and improve lives of all races. Be right back. You're listening to The Greg Kelly Show. All right. How much did Dr. Anthony Fauci really know about COVID-19 before January of 2020? you got to go to WABCRadio.com for the details about what Dr. Fauci said on the Katz's Roundtable with John Katzmatidis back in January of 2020. We want to know whether you think Dr. Fauci knew more than he told the American public back then. Go to WABCRadio.com. Vote. In our poll, did Dr. Fauci know more than he let on? Your thoughts matter. Please go to WABCRadio.com and let us know. I talked to Dr. Fauci in January of 20, and he said, Greg, this is really something the American people don't have to worry about right now. Very interesting, don't you think? All right. Oh, boy, the show has flown by. Uh, Calls. Reese on Long Island. Reese, what an interesting name. Reese. Hey, nice to talk to you. That, that's what you said the first time I spoke to you. Oh, that's right. You. Uh, I remember you. Uh, you had some complicated backstory about the name. I can't remember now. Yeah, rule number one, if there's no uh, crisis, you have to create one, basically. No, 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 no. Regarding your name. Oh, yes. Yeah, you said it was unique. Never mind. All right, what's up? What do you want to talk about? Well, I just want to know why uh, I want to get him his name right, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Yerno Oliver North, Alexander Vinman. How come nobody's talking to him, shoving a mic in his face, asking him what he thinks about the Ukraine situation? Uh, number one, he's yesterday's news. Number two, he does uh, speak out about Ukraine. He actually, I saw a couple of weeks ago, he said uh, Biden is blowing it on Ukraine. He actually said that out loud. I mean, look, let's face it. He's not important anymore. He served their purpose. Now he's just some dumpy guy. You know, he's just a, I, I, I can't stand Vinman. I really can't stand what he did and how he let himself be used. Just such a phony. So really, what does what does anybody care what a retired lieutenant colonel thinks about this? But he'll, you'll see him on TV if you want to. He's, he's always shooting his mouth off on Twitter, like I am too. Uh, Reese, anything else? about Im- uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch? Uh, you, nobody knows who these people are anymore. You know, they serve their purpose. It's erupt, so unless you actually nail... Uh, a president and get rid of him like Carl Bernstein, you can't go on TV and say it's worse than well, Watergate. The n- number one, don't believe the fake news hype. Carl Bernstein did not get rid of uh, Richard Nixon. Neither did Bob Woodward. That is a that's 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 fake news, legendary crap. Uh, actually, let me ask you, when did their book, All the President's Men, come out? Do you know? Uh, that was uh, shortly before the movie, so like 74, 75. Well, it actually came out uh, in 1973 before Richard Nixon left office. Isn't that interesting? 
He came out before he left office. So these guys were just cashing in, just total marketeers. They made up half the crap. They certainly made up the stuff about um, Deep Throat. That's all a lie. Reese, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Karen in New York. Karen. That's you. What do you think of this Karen stuff, Karen? You know, I don't like it. Um, I was brought up not to denigrate anybody because of their race. And I was wondering why the people who say this about me and my group, the Karens, are allowed to say it publicly on a public station. In my job, I would have been fired or disciplined if I used a racial slur. Yeah, well, listen, I'm your guy. You know, I've been leading the charge on this. It's a racist. Right. It, and I'm calling to agree as a Karen. That isn't my name, but I am a Karen. I will still. Wait a second. Your name is not Karen? No, I just am a Karen. What can I tell you? <laughs> okay. You know what? That's kind of funny in a way. You don't embrace it. Just say, yeah, I'm a Karen. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? I give my opinion. If you don't like it, tough. But yeah. I haven't, I'm entitled. Uh, yeah, you are. You are. Now, nobody likes racism. That's not what it's about. But you know what? They use the word race. it You're is ra- racism to denigrate me for being a white woman. Yes, is that is racist. That is racist. But they'll say, well, we're only calling the white women who are racist, Karens. And no, they got to no, shut no, up. No, no, no. I know. I know. White women who have opinions that you exactly. don't like. Exactly. Karen. And you don't have to, my opinion. You have to respect that I have a right to my opinion. I know. You know, I agree with you on everything, but I feel like you're... Well, that's why I called to agree with you, to <laughs> okay. let you know. We're out there and we're strong. I and, uh, love We it. were the nurses. We were the teachers. We were the secretaries. We were the women who kept this country going. I love it. What's your real name, okay. Karen? Liz. Okay. Liz, you're fantastic. Thank you very much. I want to go to uh, Marianne in New Jersey. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Greg. I just want to let you know that Cory Booker was brought up in an affluent neighborhood in Bergen County, Harrington Park. Yes, I know that. I've actually met and his parents. His parents, is, uh, yes. they were very successful, well-to-do people. That's great. One worked for IBM, and then he right, went, exactly. made a big production of Moving Into the Hood. Right. So I don't think the pe- people in that community were racist. No, he did no. very well for himself, and that's good. We want people to do very well for himself, but now he's pointing exactly. his finger at everybody and saying everything's racist right. and it's just ridiculous. Right. Marianne, okay. thank you for that. All I got right. Mark from Long Island. Hello. No. Hello, okay. Greg. Yeah, Mark from Brook. All right, we're playing. Sorry, Mark in Brooklyn. We hung up on you, uh, but Mark in Long Island, you're on the air. Yes, sir. Hi, Greg. How are you? Semper Fi. Air, air winger, too. Oh, yeah? That's great. Tell me more, pal. Uh, uh, my question for you, we, we were discussing today. Why, why does Joe Biden sit in that little room across from the across the street from Pennsylvania Avenue and, and give these speeches or whatever he does in that room? He looks like he's sitting at the kids' table. Any any you you got any insight on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange setup. Here's what I think's going on. They have determined. Do you remember when he used to wrap up uh, his little appearances and walk out of the room? He'd have to leave the room first. The way the White House is set up, they have to get him out of the room first. So they'd all bark questions at him, and it looked very, very bad. So they redid it. They thought, we'll get the people out of the room first. And the way it's situated, the way it's set up in the executive office building, 
The reporters have to leave first. So I think that's what's going on. Long-winded answer, but I think that's what's going on. Mark, thank you. Oh, shoot. The music. Hey, tonight, uh, we got to book the show real quick. It's time, right? Okay, I'll see you tonight. Newsmax, 7 o'clock. Many thanks.